Hello, everyone. Welcome to At the Table with Hands and Voices. I'm your host, Janet DeGeorge, and welcome to this episode entitled The Raw Talk with special guest Janae Amal Morris. The podcast series is brought to you by Hands and Voices, where we envision a world where children who are deaf and hard of hearing have every opportunity to thrive and achieve to their full potential, celebrating all families and their diverse cultures, ensuring equity and inclusion for all. I'm so excited to introduce our guest today, but first, by our sponsor, the online itinerant, resources, training, and community all in one place, all for one price. You need knowledge, resources, and guidance so you can equip and empower your child to grow up without limits. The Friend Academy helps you effectively navigate your journey as a parent or caregiver with a child who is deaf or hard of hearing without judgment. As a member of the Friend Academy, you are no longer alone. The Friend Academy is a community for all families, regardless of your child's age, stage, or communication mode. Go to www.friendacademy.net to learn more. And now, I'm so excited to introduce to all of you Janae Amal Morris. Janae brings passion, humor, and real-life experience to her role as a national and international parent professional trainer, facilitator, and motivational speaker whose view of the world is not as it is, but as it could be. As a mother of an amazing son, Malik, with CHARGE syndrome, she strives to build an atmosphere of support and empowerment for families of children with special needs and the professionals who serve them. This has led to her career working with families of, with children with special needs in various role, roles as women's ministry leader, family specialist for the New England and North Carolina Deaf-Blind Projects. Janae is a state outreach service coordinator at the Texas School for the Deaf. She also serves as the family faculty advisor for the NC LEND program of UNC Chapel Hill and president of the board of directors for Hands and Voices headquarters. Janae and her husband, Michael, have three children, Malik, Amani, and Zakia. Janae is an avid reader, yogi, and a published author, The Act of Collaboration, Lessons from Families of Children with Disabilities. Janae, welcome. And that is quite an extensive resume. And I'm so honored and privileged to have you here on the podcast episode today. Thank you, Janet. This has been a long time coming. Dream for both of us. I'm really happy to be here and get into some raw talk. Yeah, um, I think even the title, The Raw Talk, um, had me probably a little bit nervous as we began to think about this. But, you know, listen, I think for me, uh, the context for this conversation today started really last summer um, with the murder of George Floyd. Um, this, you know, I, I know you're, when we start talking about history and, and background and where we jump into the conversations around racism. Um, and for me in context as a leader at Hands and Voices, it, it did start though with some monthly meetings that we already had scheduled, you as the board director and me as the executive director. And we began to just have different conversations about what was going on in the world. I. Uh, I think you and I have a long-standing relationship, so mm -hmm. it created this, we already had, a, I think, a basis of trust. So as we began to sort of process these things, 
Uh, it felt really natural. I think there were times where we would be done with an hour long conversation and I would say, oh, I wish we had recorded that. So now here we are recording for our podcast, this conversation. Um, but you know what, Jenna, I do want to say um, this conversation you and I have had, I think we've known each other probably about 15 years now, uh -huh. 15 years. And what, it, what I think is so powerful, it last year wasn't the catalyst for us having raw talk. I don't think we realized it at the, at the time, yeah. but every time we would get together, whether it was a conference or something, you and I always had a glass of wine and talked about life, work, our families, and what was going on in the world and how it, how it affected our children who are deaf and hard of hearing, but just us in general. Right. And so I see it more as a lead up to, um, us desiring to for hands and voices, especially to be more inclusive. And we've always, I always remember you leaning in going, Janae, how can we just include more? And, yeah. and, and let's talk about really that, you know, our organization board and staff, you know, has a certain demographic, amazing people, but how do we add to that to, 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 to make it more spicy, I guess. So I think when last year with the murder happened, it, it just, it was for us going, oh my gosh, okay, we already have this trust. Like you said, we already have this bond. Now, how are we going to respond? Right. And, and I thank you for that. I do think it's been in the DNA of Hands and Voices all these years talking about diversity. Um, I think in general, we've worked really hard over the last 25 years to ensure that all families with deaf and hard of hearing kids are included across modalities, across right. languages, across school placement issues. And, and I have to say, you know, the event itself of, of someone with a, with a police officer with his, with his foot on the neck of a black man, I think you know, I think when when this happened, I I know and just thinking and hearing from other black individuals saying this isn't the first moment of this. And so I know it wasn't the first moment for me, Janae, but it was the first moment I was called on as the executive director to put something out there. Because what was happening is from that day on, all the organizations were putting out statements. And for me, this was a moment in time where I began to think about all of our community and differing perspectives and what is it that we could put out? What words would we put out? Um, so while, while, you know, I appreciate you saying this was before, you know, we, we had this in our DNA before. For me, just in terms of what I had to do, it all of a sudden was in my face. And it wasn't about the statement itself, but it was really about um, being honest about, are we really going to explore this? Not just do we have enough kids of, you know, black children in our brochures? You know, this was a pivotal point for me, mm -hmm. I think, in terms of the commitment that I both want to make and understand it. But I, I do have a bit of understanding, I guess, that this wasn't the pivotal moment for you and your life experience because you had a lifetime of experiences in, in the community that you live in and are a part of. So, um, yeah, so that so for me, that's why this past year has been really critical. And I think what's interesting, you, you said 
you were you felt called to action because it's it had, was now in your face. Yeah. And I remember kind of going, uh-huh, Janet. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to, <laughs> to the world, you know, and I think that that's where the rawness is, right? That, yeah. you know, it's, it's always been in the face of people of color, um, you know, all, day in and day out. You know, um, we we survive and thrive with it in our face. And you were called to action because it's in your face. So that's what I kind of meant. We've had these talks before about, you know, yeah. but, but the action for you came when it was in your face, when you felt that it was in your face. Yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't really thought a whole lot about this, but what was uh, both both the horror of it, of course, and um, thinking a little bit more in terms of what, what it was that was in my face, getting emails and phone calls from people like, when is Hands and Voices going to speak out about this? Mm-hmm. And sort of that pressure of, of that. So um, I think in those early days, when we think back to last year and even thinking about the statement that we ultimately did put out. It's up on our website. Now people can go look at it if they want. Um, and it was a result of almost three weeks of lots of conversations with our board and staff, a whole bunch of different sort of emotions that were filtering through from a lot of different people. And how do you take that where there isn't just one, one voice or one response and begin to synthesize it for somebody like our organization, you know, I think that was a little bit of the beginning parts of this too, and thinking about how can we have conversations where everyone's voice is heard, everyone's at the table, and ultimately kind of, you know, think about moving forward. Um, so the raw talk, uh, people kept bringing that up in the days that ensued, and people were being interviewed and on television saying, you know, it's time for us to have raw conversations and speak truth and and really be able to dissect this, not just from your own perspective, but being able to, and it's time for, you know, white people just shut up and listen. You didn't say that to me in that way, but in some ways that's kind of what I was experiencing. I began, both you, uh, there was something about how this all played out that had these extremes with it where, you know, it began to be this extreme of like, every white person is a racist, we have to deconstruct our entire society back to, there's no racism left in the world. There, you know, anybody who says this is just trying to tear down our, our society or our structures. And the truth is, for me, I believe the whole mess is in the middle. And when we take positions on either side, we cannot talk about this. And I think that to me, what, you know, when I finally asked you, like, Janae, everybody's talking about having raw conversations, what does that mean? And I'll never forget, you said, honey, it just means we're actually talking about it. And I, that sort of set me free because I was so worried about being perceived on either end of the spectrum of how this is playing out. So. Yeah, um, it's, 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 I think everyone was nervous, afraid, didn't, you know, because we're, we are complex human beings, but we also are human beings that have relationships. And I know I felt what re- are some of my relationships at stake based on 
how people respond, react, what they say, you know. And so I think it, you're right, it created this, this either or. We just don't talk about it because, you know, we don't want to get political or right. you have the um, one person talking at another and not really communicating. And I think that, you know, like, like we did, we just talked in the middle and gave each other the freedom to just say the, the real and raw truth yeah. of our own experiences. And I think that's so key because, you know, it's, you know, it just reminds me of you turn on um, uh, the light, you know, if you have roaches and everybody, every, all the roaches scatter. And I think that's what happened. No one wanted to be in the light with what they were thinking and feeling because of the fear. Mm -hmm. And the more we brought and we bring our true feelings and experiences into the light, the more we can learn from each other and validate those experiences. Yeah. It's funny how your preconceived beliefs will cloud what you, what information you even want to take in or receive. And, and I think we all get that. We like to listen to the news stations that align with what we already believe. And so then it's this filter of mm -hmm. just resonating back with what, what positions you want to take or believe in. I, I think for me, something that happened in those conversations and to this day is um, stopping um, to just listen. And that, and you, I think you said that to me is, you know, cause I'm like, well, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing here? And you said, just listen. And, and I really appreciate you because you, though we've had a relationship for 15 years, there are stories in your life that I had never heard before. And this brought the platform and the opportunity for, for both of you to share it and for me to be a listener in it. Mm -hmm. And one weird thing about that was that I, you said at some point, like, especially in the middle of this, there uh, people were calling you, asking you, talking to you, you were processing this all day long, every day, talking to everyone. And I remember I didn't want to be one of those people that are like, you know, Janae, make me feel better. Can I post a picture of you and me on the Facebook, on Facebook so people know I have a black friend? Right. I mean, oh, my gosh. I'm married to a Latino. But, but Joe's... That life experience with him is so different from the day you and I met and Michael had just gone out the door and you heard a car backfire and your heart dropped. I, I can't tell you what that even that snippet of the story did for me or or the stories that you would tell me of your life experience. And it, again, it's not like I didn't know some of this or had read about some of it before, but there is something going on, I think, right now in our society. And I, I have to say, after a year, I feel like some of it dissipates, like people's quit talking about it as much. And I know you and I's commitment from the beginning was we are not going to let this right. one incident just rise up and then and then go away. We can talk a little bit more later about that. But, but I think listening to your stories, Janae, just um, sort of helped me sit back and go, actually, Janet, this is your time to sit back and listen. And mm -hmm. you know me, I'm an extrovert. I love to talk. So um, yeah. The interesting thing, Janet, though, it, it you and I always talk about safe space and brave space. Yeah. And 
you know, in our world of deaf, hard of hearing, in our world of disability, in our work as professionals, as well as parents, that has been, you know, a brave space and a, and a safe space. And we've talked to people and we, you know, our whole lives is surrounded, you know, around making people feel at home, feel like they have a family, uh, teaching and, and presenting to professionals and parents all over, you know, telling our stories about yeah. our children and about the children that we serve. It was interesting because I, I have this, this saying in my head um, that the field of, you know, uh, of disability is one that it can be a blessing and a curse in that we think, especially as professionals, we think everything, it's the great equalizer, mm-hmm. but it really isn't. Um, and, and I think sometimes the, as professionals, like, oh, we're just serving children who are deaf and hard of hearing or having other, you know, um, challenges. And we don't realize we go in with our own bias. We go in with our own um preconceived notions. And when it becomes not a safe space is when we bring things in that we're not comfortable about, those stories that we're not comfortable about. So I could even say, you know, people may say, tell me about Malik or tell me about, you know, how your family navigates. Mm -hmm. But the intersection of say who Malik is as a, a young man with charge, but also a young black man with charge with a young black man with a disability who I'm just as afraid of, you know, as, you know, going someplace and doing something, you know, um, to get him, you know, his life in danger. Those are the stories that I didn't feel as safe or brave to say because I didn't know how it was going to land. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when you when you were saying that, it made me think of um, sort of the context for our relationship and conversations around um, around culture, equity, racism. The I, it's both a blessing and a curse because I think I think deafness, like you say, is sort of the great equalizer in terms of what brings diverse communities together. Right. Like. Our community at Hands and Voices talk about diversity. It's not just what communication modes or methods or schools our kids go right, to, right. but but um, but people from all religious backgrounds, from political backgrounds, from social contracts, from race and ethnicity. There was some, there is something about the the shared experience that did bring us all into that platform. But it's also if that's the blessing, then the curse would be that that there are parts of each of our stories that all of those things do bring in to to the the thing that also is the same if that makes sense and when we don't explore that then then we're we're um we're not doing a service to what we're here for anyway in terms of our organization and serving families and i think some of the stories that i started hearing were from black families who for instance would go to the audiologist's office and um, and it could be any professional office. I'm not picking on audiologists today who are listening to us, by the way. But just, <laughs> but just having to overcome preconceptions of 
of the feeling of being in the waiting room or being perceived as the family that doesn't follow through or or I have a, a friend who told me a story a long time ago who's um, who's Spanish speaking and she was late for an audiology appointment and she walked in the door and she said she could just feel the judgment of, you know, you don't care about your child, you're always late, you're not really invested in this. And what she told me is she had been sitting out in the parking lot on time for her appointment, by the way, but it, had, it took her 35 minutes to quit sobbing before she could get into the audiology office because she was just such an emotional wreck and everything going on at that time. And so I think this conversation is important, not just societally, but for us who really want to think about how our, we, we have to serve our families effectively and be willing to talk about, about these things that are going on. And it's interesting, I have an audiology story, um, taking Malik to the audiologist, um, at, as well as being a professional, you know, who serves kids who are deaf and hard of hearing. So I um, was very familiar with, you know, where I took him, I was very familiar with the physician that I took him to. Um, and I purposely took him to this, you know, physician, because he was the best, this audiologist. As a professional, I, and I had to figure out what hat I was going to wear. I had to wear all of my hats. I had to be a parent. I was Malik's mom, so I'm, you know, I'm there trying to figure out. I timed it at the end of the day so that I knew there were no other appointments, so we wouldn't be rushed, and so that Malik could eat, you know, do all the things, you know. So I'm in the office. Malik's, you know, pulling the things down, and you know, because he's just all over the place. So that my mom had is going, oh my goodness. Yeah. But then I had, um, and I, I've talked about this before, a sheet where I have all about me, all about, you know, Malik, what he likes, what he doesn't like, all his medicines, all his doc doctors. And I hand this to every physician, even if they get it a hundred times so that we can have a talk. So they're not asking what medicine, you know, because right. first of all, it, it, it's, it can, it's emotional anyway. So to have to replay what's going on with him. But also he's hanging from the rafters. I need, we have to do this quick. And as a professional who also trains and teaches professionals, some of whom are audiologists, um, I wanted them to know that I was on my P's and Q's as a parent, yeah. as a black parent. Here is all of the information, the doses, the doctors, you know, and I know my stuff because I am not going to be treated like I don't know my stuff. So I had to be even more prepared, overly prepared. And it, it was just, it was funny because the resident came in, he hadn't read the, the form. I said, have you read it? I said, we'll go out and read it. I'm not going to, I want to have a, a decent discussion and I'm not going to answer your questions because I've already prepared this. Yeah. He, he comes back. One of the fellow, com fellow comes in. I said, did you read the form? And he just turned himself and he said, it's the end of the day. I didn't have a chance. I said, well, have a seat. And he was, it's interesting because he was a black guy. Yeah. Malik goes and crawls in his lap as he was reading this. And so he's looking like, okay, I know my mama trained me right. So I'm going to hold Malik with one hand and yeah. I'm going to read this. So he's reading it. Yeah. Then he goes out and I listen and I hear um, before the audiologist comes in, that mama don't play. 
you better read that form before you go in there because she's going to get on you. The physician comes in and goes, Janae, why are you giving my doctors a hard time? I said, because they need to learn and they need to come correct. Yeah. You know, and that's just an example of what I, as a parent who understand, who understand how I'm treated as a black parent, a little, a young black man. But even if, if we weren't, regardless of, of, of our background, you still have to have that professional stance to be respected. Right. And all of that was going on with the added, not, you know, Malik is deaf plus, and I have many, many families of friends who are deaf plus who go through the same angst going to a physician, but the added concern of which lens am I being seen at as is, right. you know. Yeah. That extra layer. It's like, extra layer. it's like we, we all have friends who have typically developing kids mm-hmm. and we'll tell mm-hmm. a story and they'll go, Oh yeah, that, yeah, that happened to my middle schooler. They didn't have any friends right. in the grade either. And you're like, yeah. And I have a deaf child and that added an extra layer. So as you're telling your story, Janae, I'm thinking about, about that perception or the, the implicit bias or whatever you want to call it, that you walk into rooms with where you have, Sure, the layers of being a parent, layers of being a parent of a child with special needs, and as a Black woman or Black mother, that extra layer of having to navigate the perceptions of people around you. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think, Janet, yeah. it's, it's, it's the, the pride versus the preparation. I am proud to be a Black woman. I always have. I love my people. Um, I'm proud to have a black family, a black son. I'm also proud to be a black woman that has a wide array of friends and, and yeah. relationships. So, and, and that's sometimes, you know, we always talk about the uh, dealing with our children from a deficit point of view. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes in these discussions of race, it's talked about from a deficit point of view. Oh, it's a burden. You got to go in and now you have another layer being a black mom. No, I'm proud. I am proud. I'll say it loud, black and I'm proud to be a black mom. But then as a black mom, I also have to go in prepared for any nonsense that I have to deal with. And I also have to prepare. um, Is this really discrimination? Is this marginalization? What is this? And then- also prepare how I'm going to react or respond. Yeah. And so it is, it's, it's maybe it's the scales, you know, I would say it's the dichotomy, but you know, it's, it's the balance, it's the balancing act. And I think that's where the resistance and resilience, that's where the resilience comes in is able to balance that and the exhaustion at well. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't want to skip to the end of the story here because I would would accept that something you said during during this part was um, the there's something in the strain at the end of the day, if you if you try to think of where is it that we're trying to get to, it is the the reducing of barrier, you know, like, you you know, say, take a, a conversation about equitable healthcare or whatever. How do we reduce the barriers that exist for some parts of our population and not for others so that 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 
families, like you say, an example of healthcare, are getting equitable, equitable um, services and supports. And that, and I keep thinking about the end of the story, is is strength and and equality and and um, the richness of culture, the pride of who you are. It's not that it's not the dismissiveness of of we're all the same it's the it's the patchwork of the beautiful cultures and and who we are and the strengths that each each culture ethnicity or language brings to the table that when that's that's embraced that's kind of where we want to get to go and i think when you're so that when i i, I say that about the end of the story which we know will never be the end of the story right. but back to this sort of beginning part where you're like Okay, we got to go through five implicit bias trainings and, you know, unless like I, when we talk about a safe and a brave space, now I'm saying this in front of others, but, you know, like I've asked you the question, do I have to admit that I'm a racist before we can move forward here? You know, it's like right, right, some right. of the questions that we're all thinking or feeling, or maybe you in your life have people that know about our relationship and would say, uh-huh, another white person you have to take care of, Janae, or whatever it is they might say. They say um, that. Is that what they say? Yeah. <laughs> I know. And even knowing by you having told me that, like last year too, I remember at first, like I was like, I don't want to be one of those people. Okay, so this leads me a little bit to the incident that happened between you and I. And for our listeners today, um, we have a story to tell that we have not actually resolved together. Um, we actually haven't talked about this since it happened. I've been reflecting uh, from my own viewpoint, but we thought we would like to um, just share a little bit about something that happened between us um, in our, like you all know, our relationship of trust and all of this and, and something still still occurred. Uh, do you want to talk about it first or do you want me to frame it? Because we'll probably frame it both a little differently. You frame it and then I'll right. I'll, I'll unravel it. I'll, okay. unravel. I'll start by saying, <laughs> trying to just even frame it, or I'm wondering if this would fall under the category of microaggression. Um, and one thing, and I, by the way, for those of you who get triggered by any kind of words we're using here today, too bad, just work with us here. But you know, microaggression can be intentional or unintentional. So when something happens and someone calls you out and you say, well, but I didn't mean to, um, that really isn't the point of any any occurrence. But um, Janae and I were in a room together. We hadn't been together in person a long time with, with uh, I think there were six or seven of us, I think two men, five women. We were discussing a really heated topic with a lot of different perspectives. I personally was feeling um, pretty defensive. I felt like there was a little bit of group think tank trying to get me from one position to the next. Maybe that was true. In retrospect, um, the thing we were discussing uh, after getting past my own stuff, I think there was a whole lot of wisdom in the room, but I just remember being in the room feeling, feeling a bit defensive myself. Um, yeah, and it was with people I love and trust and everything, you know, we, we kind of started work through a lot of conversations and then started a little bit of a list. And that's kind of my remembrance of, of what happened in the room. But now tell them what happened in the kitchen, Janae. <laughs> well, I'll, or, yeah, or do you want me to finish what I thought happened in the kitchen? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, 
you you can do you want to do you want to okay let's 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 that's part of the story let's hold off on that yeah let's, let's build this up okay yeah okay so, you, now you tell yeah. what happened um so janet and i had some time together before the meeting um before this gathering as we always do just to kind of you know get back and you know hang out and solidify our friendship and sisterhood and feeling really good about being together, being safe together. And, you know, this is, of course, in the middle of, you know, the pandemic. So there was a lot of trust, a lot of open conversations and honesty about that. And so the decision, I knew we were coming together to make some important decisions as well as do some planning. My concern, which I don't even know if Janet knows, um, was I was talking with the other members about the decision, um, not to kind of, and I know Janet felt that we were doing a consensus so that we could sway her in in one way. Really, the consensus, it, it wasn't a consensus. My concern was Janet and I have had this conversation several times. I'm not sure if she could hear it from me again. Mm-hmm. And so I need y'all to speak up. And, and I said, if I bring it up, it's not going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, it was just tense. We were all tense yeah. about having to make extremely important decisions. Yeah. So I said to them, I'm going to need your support in this. And I don't need to be the one to bring, bring this conversation up. During this whole conversation, everyone kind of had their um, their uh, uh, opinions, um, stats behind opinions, opinions behind stats, etc. Um, and several people even got very not heated, but animated, emotional about you know yeah. personally making this decision, and you know. Um, you know, presenting hands and voices in a way that we needed to. And I just said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. And then I ended up saying um, my thoughts and the way I saw it, Janet, boom, got the defense came up and you were already feeling defensive and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, but you lashed out at me. using some personal things that I told you, well, this is good. This is because of a personal decision. You told me some things that we had talked about before Mm -hmm. and you just went in my head, you went off, Mm -hmm. you know, basically saying, I don't trust what you're saying because I know how you feel. Now, everyone else had just said what I had said beforehand. Mm -hmm. I was the only one that um, got the reaction from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember saying, didn't other people say this? And so what was going on for me in that space? Oh, I, we, because we had just watched the a film about equity, yeah, deaf and hard of hearing and marginalization. So, you know, we were all still thinking about that. And honestly, I was like, I know she just didn't come at me. Yeah. Everybody else who's white in the world said the exact same thing. Even one of the males was very animated. 
Yeah. But she's not jumping bad at him. Yeah. You know, and I was like, mm, it's good thing my earrings are on the table because I'm going to take them off right now. I knew. And I said, I knew this was going to happen. And I t- told everyone else, this is what's going to happen. And it happened. Yeah. And so for me, I'm like, why did you feel that you could react to me mm-hmm. in that way and you didn't with anyone else? Right. And the way it translated to me, and honestly, Janet, for the first time in 15 years, you were that white woman. Yep. Like, who the hell do you think you are that yep. you think you can talk to me this way? Yeah. And not everyone else. And that everyone, I don't know if they were shocked or it wasn't like I had an ally even in that room. Mm-hmm. You know, um, someone talked to me afterwards because I was you know, practically in tears. I was furious. Oh, yeah. and I know then you said, OK, we'll talk about this in the car. On the, so you wanted to just dismiss it. We'll talk about this in the car. On the way. I'm like, no, you brought it out in the open. We're going to talk about it right now. Yeah. You know, you want to fight? Let's fight. Yeah. Um, the When we moved into the kitchen and you said, I just have to tell you, I'm processing this because I felt like you called me out as the black woman in the room. So I guess I'd been through enough training to not say in that moment, I didn't mean to. <laughs> but I, uh, so I had a few, a few things going on in my head. Um, first of all, through what was going on in society and having just like heard stories of like, I guess something came to my head. Like, I don't think this is the first time this has happened to you as the only black person in the room. Like this isn't the first time this has happened, first of all. And the way you said it to me is Janet, I'm processing that. I I have to let you know that I'm processing this. You didn't come out and say, oh, you just attacked the only black woman in the room. You you just said, look, I'm pro- this is what I'm experiencing and I'm processing. So so that created some space for us to get through this rather than that attack, no matter how we were feeling emotionally. My second my second um emotion was just real grief because I wanted to be that one friend in your, that one white woman in your life who didn't ever, ever do a microaggression against you. I've been through the implicit bias training, so I will never be implicitly biased again. You know, like I, there was something about just sort of the grief of that, like, ah, damn it, where you have to go through this in your life in a lot of places. I wanted this, we, like you say, we talk about this being the safe and brave space. It does not mean that you're never going to be hurt by me or I'm not going to do something that's sort of uh, through that lens of of race space. I, I actually have never sat and processed because I don't know that I can consciously come to some conclusion that says, oh, yeah, I picked on I. I gave it to Janae because she was the the black woman in the room. So that's when we, I think we talk about implicit layers of stuff going on in our world. I I don't know really the answer to that, Mm -hmm. Um, but um, it made me think. Um, It didn't end our friendship. Um, I, I, I don't know how I, I when we talk about implicit bias, so implicit un- or unconscious, you know, unconscious mm-hmm. that um, I think it was a lesson for me that just because I say 
I'm all that in terms of not wanting to be one of those people that have any layers of anything. You know, I'm like, I want to run over to that other extreme of on the lens of I'm not a racist. I actually don't believe that there's one that we're superior to one another based on the color of our skin or language or any any of those things. So, and yet it was, I think, a a lesson for me and one of my many lessons of just like, I gotta, I gotta work, you know, I've got to, first of all, accept that and not say, oh, I didn't mean to, or no, that's not really what it was. Uh, especially like just hearing other, I think that again, I'm going to just keep coming back to these collective stories that have, that I've opened my heart to in the past year, really hearing and listening to, because what that does is it it helps alleviate all the political discourse of what this is in our society to go. These are real life experiences of people today happening in their world. And so, so that's, um, you know, I think for me, you know, again, talking about the raw talk, it's like you and I can actually talk about this. And I, I was, I was glad you said that to me. I, I, there was a lot of things I think going on, um, even in the car when we tried to talk, that did not go well, I didn't think, in terms of getting to some sort of heart or heat heart of something that was going on. So I don't know. That's, yeah, no like happy bow on top of the present of resolution, but. Um, Interesting. I think you brought up a really, really good point about intent. So let's talk about intent because. Yeah. You know, that's kind of one of the buzzwords, but I didn't intentionally do it. Let's talk about intent. Yeah. Because I think the the trust and the friendship and the raw talk that we you and I have had, especially in, like you said, in the last year, mm-hmm. um, where I've even felt like our relationships grown because I've said things to you I in a way that I hadn't said it before. Because yeah. I'm, I'm just going to keep it raw and real. Remember, yeah. we always, I'm going to yeah. keep it raw and real. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, okay, can I? Have, can we have real talk? And it was yeah. this, this reciprocal thing, right? right. Um, so in, in terms of intent, I knew you did not intend. Right. And so that trust was there that you didn't intend. You didn't say, okay, Janae, I am a white woman and Janae, I am going to take this matriarchal tone with Janae to put Janae in her place. Mm -hmm. Because I know you would, you couldn't even do that if you wanted to. (laughs) I mean, it would make you sick. Now there are people that I know who will do that, Mm -hmm. but I know your, 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 your heart and soul is not intending to do that. And remember, I said, I'm processing because it was the the optics as well. And remember, I think I said, you know, if you were in another room, this is how this could have been seen. Yeah. You know, I was I was hurt. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. But I also was thinking about, you know, as you as we always do. OK, how can I make this into a teachable mo- moment and a workshop? Yeah. You know, right. and yeah. so so that's why I said that. And I said, I'm I'm processing because it was a shock. And I was like, I know this just didn't happen within this framework. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know? yet it did. Um, <laughs> and yet it did. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I want, I know we're running a little bit low on time, but I, what I wanted to also talk about is the aftermath, because I know on the car ride, I was just done. I was like, okay, yeah. you know, and I, but I knew it would, and I think you said, Janae, I know we're going to resolve this. It's going to yeah. take some time. And the person in the car, um, the, you know, the wise friend that we both had said, well, you're seeing it from both sides. Yeah. And I jumped on him too, of course, um, you know, cause he was trying to, you know, bless him. Yeah. Um, but what he did say is that, that, that hit me was the two of you are so powerful together, Janet and Janae, that you this will be resolved and you will realize the power of that, but you don't realize how powerful you are together. Yeah. Yeah. And all the years of us being on stage, planning all of our, we are powerful together. Me, I was like, I'm breaking up, I'm done, I'll, I'm quitting. You know, like, yeah. really, Janet, really, yeah. you know? Yeah. But afterwards being home, which I've never shared with you, first time, drum roll, it took a long time for me to heal. Mm -hmm. And I was also going through some other stuff, um, you know, um, at work that was just, you know, some real, not a microaggression, some real right. aggression and racial marginalization, et cetera. So at that, you became not a safe space anymore. Yeah. And you've always been, you've, I've always told you that you've always been my safe space in this world of, you know, what we do. And I was, and so I went through the grieving of et tu brute, not you too, Janet. I can't lose you, you know, but this happened and I have to process my hurt and I still have to smile and meet with you every month because we've got business. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I had to go through a healing in realizing, wait a minute, what that person said is the power of the two of us together, the power of real talk. We're humans in a relationship. We're going to hurt each other. We never realized we would hurt each other in the most raw way. Right. Where it could have broken us up. I mean, forget the organization, but what we have together for that to splinter would have broken my heart, but it also would have broken other people's hearts if we couldn't resolve it in the framework of the crazy racial and social justice piece. Here we are, we're fighting our own racial and social justice in your living room. Right. And yeah. um, the, so the resolution and the bow, honestly, for me is I'm through that. And I couldn't work it out with you. I couldn't. Yeah. I had to work it out in myself. And I didn't talk to anyone else about it. Yeah. I had to do that. So the bow for me is that we're doing it now. We're tying the bow now because yeah. we're having these real conversations. It's going to happen again. Yeah. And we're an example of what that is and what that could look like and be. And that's why we're having these real and raw conversations. Yes. And I could feel it after, you know, coming back together after that incident, there was a wall between us and not a terrible way, but just, yeah. And Janeta, you know, I think for today and thinking of our listeners here today or people viewing this, accessing this, accessing this on video or captioning or whatever, 
it does come back to the organizational thrust forward because we want to do something here yes. that's um, meaningful that actually is meeting the needs of the diversity of the families that we serve and while i'm i'm satisfied that we were able to to take this one instance between you incident between you and i um, and move forward forward um, relationally together it's still re reflective of the societal barriers that are going on in the world and whether it's families of deaf children or you know I, i'm thinking about this this incident the individual incident but it's a reflection of you as a black woman in a position of power and authority at tables where the higher you go up the less likely you are to see people of other of right. other races at that level and so when we talk about what are we going to do here at hands of voices we need to be more diverse in our staff and our board and people's position of authority and influence that has to be reflective across race and gender and all different kinds of things to create actual true diversity within our organization and in positions of power and and so the experience that you had wasn't just at a book club it was in a position of power in a room mm -hmm. where you probably are more likely to be the only black person in a room once as you move up through the levels of where mm -hmm. decisions are being made and the influence that you have and so so being able to you know, I don't know quite what the connection is between our personal story and our ambitions here organizationally, but um, I think I think it's a part of the puzzle because I think um, it, it's just amazing how people are not willing to be in raw talks if the minute they get triggered by certain words or or certain concepts like mm -hmm. like I don't know that like you know, people who all of the sudden when, you know, back to the the George Floyd murder, when it was began to be dichotomized between supporting police or not supporting police. And we know in our organization, we have family members who you, you might have family members who are in yeah, police force. And all of a sudden, when when your ability to create change gets just completely squashed because we cannot be at the same tables talking this through and getting to the next steps it's just this is where i'm glad we're at and and where we want to be and and thinking about what is it what are the actual changes we're going to make in our organization mm -hmm. so that some of those those societal constructs that have kept um kept people of color um out away from the table can we create a table here and again, it to me, it does go back to a bit of being creating spaces for storytelling. And and I think we all have to sit back and, um, you know, I, it's funny because I think I heard, um, you know, a black journalist or somebody being interviewed like, the white people need to just shut up and listen, you know, and I was really offended by that. And then after a while, though, when I began to hear the stories, that did seem to be a key to me. Like, and and there's sort of a layering and building of that. You know, there was one story of, you know, I probably said this to you, because, but one of the stories that changed me was a black man who talked about it. He lives in a middle class, upper middle class neighborhood. And as long as he's out walking with his, 
four-year-old daughters whose hand he's holding or walking his dog, he's the friendly, wonderful neighbor. But if he's out jogging, then all of a sudden there's a different perspective of him. Or like I mentioned earlier, the story of your husband walking out the door and hearing the car backfire and wondering if your proud, big, bold black man just got shot. Like, and I, that is not anything I ever think about in my world or life. So this is these all these conversations have to occur for the foundation of then getting to the table and saying, okay, we have a diversity, equity, inclusion plan, and here are the five action plans that we're going to take this year to create better equity, inclusion, diversity. And I'm sorry I say that with a sarcastic tone. It's awful that I do, except I'm tired of going to workshops where we talk about this, but then there aren't actually, I don't actually see like things really changing. And I'm just committed to seeing something improve in our organization. Yeah. And it's stories. I think you're so right. Cause we love telling our stories, right. Um, But it's those stories, you know, like, you know, with Michael, or Malik, or your friend, you know, in the, uh, you know, you heard him walking his, um, his daughter. Those are the stories that need to be told, but need to be heard. And I think what, you know, and you and I have talked about this, that I don't think white people just need to shut up and listen. Cause I don't, I don't think that, that, that doesn't, I understand the, the thought and concept, but saying it that way and, and presenting it um, I mean, who wants to have a conversation if I'm telling you, Janet, shut up and listen, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> let's, let's have a, you know, I'd rather you ask me questions and it's a risk, you know, there's some reciprocity there, but I think right. the v- validation of white people need to shut up and listen is not taking it in so personally that you want to prove you're not a racist. You want right. to, you want to take away the validation of that because you don't see it, you haven't experienced it, we're being too dramatic or, oh, you gotta bring it up again. Yeah. And so, so, so when we're telling stories, it's, you know, or, oh, I'm so sorry. It's not personal, I don't want you to be sorry, this is life, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, for example, we, I've, you know, we've, I told a story being in the South to a family that, um, we were visiting. I don't want Michael taking a walk at night without me mm-hmm. unless he has our dog, Boston. The person could not. I said, I don't even want him walking the dog. So yeah. we're going to do this together because I knew the neighborhood. Um, I didn't know who was in the neighborhood, but this is my assumption. The person could not hear what I'm saying. They were so into the stats and the black on black crime and this and that. And I stopped him and I said, did you hear what I said? My story is that I don't want my husband going out of your door because I don't know if he's going to come back or he's going to someone's going to call the police. And I said, what are you going to do? What would you do if some of the police came to the door with my husband in the backseat? I said, these are the real life stories. It's not a condemnation of you as a human being. We love you, you know, but to take, but he couldn't accept it. And by not accepting it, he was taking that story and invalidating it Mm -hmm. that 
we couldn't even walk in his own neighborhood as, as guests in his house. And so I think those are the stories that is like, okay, wow, tell me more, help me to understand, you know, not that we have to be teach it, teachers, but I think Janet also, one other thing I want to say is the speaking versus the silence that happened in the last year. I think that's where, you know, you see even the silos, those that spoke up and this isn't right, or, you know, or, you know, justifying, you know, all of this, but then it's the silence yeah. of people not speaking up. So if we go back to the room that we were in, what hurt even more was the silence. Mm-hmm. Now, if if I or any of us had some, said something derogatory or used a word that was antiquated or a term for kids who are deaf and hard of hearing, we would jump on each other and correct each other. But mm-hmm. the fact that in that level, I mean, that's profound. In my position of power, um, in my position, that's okay. This is an organic podcast. We're going to just uh, let <laughs> in my position of power yeah. in one of the most powerful organizations I think in the country, and I'm at the highest level. Mm-hmm. I was still alone mm-hmm. because no one had the bravery to speak up. Yeah. Now. I don't know if they saw it. Mm-hmm. They definitely saw between you and I and my discomfort. But I wonder, we're talking about brave spaces. Why didn't anybody go, Janet, chill out? Or Janae, help, let's let's process what you're thinking and feeling here as a group. Because that yeah. that's like our core group, right? Right. Someone approached me outside and said, are you okay? I said, well, why do you ask that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I saw you inside about to cry. I said, well, you should have said something inside. Yeah. Don't pull me aside. So, so, so that is also what people don't realize. The higher you get, that's great. And we can all be at the table. Mm-hmm. But why isn't the spotlight on those that are silent? Yeah. It Rather than the person who has been the, I don't like the word victim, but the receptor of the microaggression or the, the, the one who is hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether or not people came to you afterwards and process it, that's fine, you know, whatever. But in that room, that's where we end up alone. We can have all the great people at the table. So that's even for me, as we going forward in, in our organization, and I know we're going to be doing some uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training, you know, but some yeah. real raw, maybe we should change it and be real raw training, right? Yeah. But really helping to embolden people to speak up for one another. That's yeah. allyship. Yeah. And that's where you learn. That's where you yes. learn and grow and yes. move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, man, I'm happy to be here wow. in the middle of the messy with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just... I, I, I got my inspiration even for doing podcasts with us having monthly chats together, just thinking, man, this just feels so rich. And um, I'm really grateful that you're my friend, my boss, um, <laughs> my uh, ally, and I hope I am a twin. <laughs> yes, we have the same birthdays. I think we could go on forever. Yeah. I think we'll wrap Hello. it up here. Um, any final comments you want to make? And then I'll close this out here. Yes. 
I remember Janet, you, you, in one of our heated raw moments, I, you just were so, even before our incident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember saying to you and another member of our board, um, who's a woman of color saying to you, we're still here mm-hmm. because we believe in the organization, but we also believe in the people and we're here to help us all to be better and yeah. to be braver. And these are two women, myself and this other one, if we would completely walk away, if we didn't feel that this is worth us all growing and being brave together. And so, you know, yeah. I think that's kind of been the catalyst is, you know, we're going to do this mess together and I'm still yeah. here and you're still here. And will you until yeah, next we, time? <laughs> I was going to ask, will you come back? We have some interesting things going on. I think in the coming year, I'd love for us to um, do another, let's do the raw talk part two um as we record together thank you so much um those that are listening if there are things that you would like to throw in for janet and janae and our raw talk to discuss please feel free to do so absolutely um yeah this was an honor today um we're gonna close out by sharing another one of our sponsors the asd online academy Um, The American School for the Deaf Online Academy is the first online education platform serving deaf and hard of hearing students from all over the world. Currently open to students in middle school and high school, the Online Academy helps connect students everywhere with certified teachers and highly experienced staff to provide a specialized education specifically for them. The application deadline for the 2022-23 school year is March 15th. Learn more at asdonline.academy. Janae, thank you again. Um, There's lots of topics we could cover here. You are an expert in the area of leadership, collaboration, um, all kinds of different things. So um, I hope to see you here again. And thank you again for spending the time with us here on At the Table with Hands and Voices.